0: Do you know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy.
1: The Coffee Clatch Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
0: I'm Christina Lomangino.
1: And today we are reviewing episode nine, Lesser Evils.
0: Written by L. Lipson and John McNamara, directed by Rebecca Johnson. IMDb gave this a 7.4, down a lot from episode eight, which was at an 8.7.
1: Maybe they didn't like the singing.
0: (laughs) A lot of the people that wrote about the episode did like that, though. It was one of their favorite parts.
1: Yeah, a lot of people did, yes. And one of our clatchers, Emily, did, and she wanted us to sing. So we're going to sing our parts right now. Just a tuning fork. La, 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 la. No, we're not going to sing. You don't want that.
0: (laughs) The synopsis of the episode is get ready for a marriage, a kidnapping, a battle, a reunion, a goodbye, and an unthinkable betrayal. So let's go through that real quick. We had marriage.
1: Marriage. Well, that would be the marriage with Elliot and, and our new king.
0: King Idri, right? Yep. Although... Dilf. We did not see that coming. I thought it was going to be Margot and Princess. We had a kidnapping, that of Senator John Gaines. A battle. That was pretty obvious, the single combat. Although you can really hardly call that a no. battle. <laughs> <laughs> a reunion.
1: Oh, family reunion <clears throat> between the fox and his son.
0: Oh, yes, of course. A goodbye, that was, of course, Quentin to Alice, and an unthinkable betrayal.
1: Well, I would say that was Julia all episode. <laughs> for the past but
0: two episodes, really.
1: It could also be Margot with Elliot.
0: Oh, yeah, and Fen, Yeah, for sure. Let's go over our overall thoughts. What did you think about episode nine?
1: I enjoyed it. It's not one of my favorites, but it was fun. It was lighthearted at times. There was a lot of good scenes, and the plots were great. There was nothing I was really complaining about. There were holes, but then they made sure that they filled that in for us, and I will go over that later. But uh, yeah, it was pretty good.
0: Your lowest rating to date was for episode six, The Cock Barons, that you gave a 7.8. Did you like this more or less than that one? More. Okay.
1: There was no storyline that I was bored with. That's when I really go down in grading. Like, I'm not about all the technicals although I do bring it up and it does harm me and it does have input on what my grades are. It's more about, am I enjoying myself? Because that's why I watch TV. That's why I go to the movies Mm -hmm. because we work so hard every day, all day that when I sit down and watch TV, I want to be entertained. I want to enjoy it. I don't want to be bored and nothing. None of the scenes here bored me.
0: I definitely wasn't bored, but it was for sure one of my least favorite episodes of the season. Really? Yeah. Looking back, I was lowest on Cock Barons as well. I gave it a 7.5. I'm only a little up from that. I think also I was flying so high off the last episode, which I gave my highest rating a 9.5. I was really feeling Plan B and Word is Bond. This felt like such a drastic change from those episodes, and... Hmm. I was loving the return to book form, all of the emotional things going on with the characters, the magic of fillery, and I sort of felt like we did a 180 on a lot of those things. My downsides... You're vicious. No, I'm going to give you (laughs) upsides in a minute, but to start with my downsides since I'm talking about it, just in general, a lot of these scenes felt really choppy. We're talking 10-second scenes. We would bounce from one to the next. You know that I don't like that. They left a bunch of dangling threads from a few episodes ago that I thought we'd have resolved, and we'll talk about all of those as we go along. We definitely took a hard break from the book. There were a few things in particular I didn't like. Margot's move in this episode not to tell Fen. It felt really out of character for her, yeah. especially given the emotional talk that they had last episode yeah. and what seemed to be forged there. I feel like they're doing wrong by her character for the sake of plot here in order to boost that.
1: So you want to go into that now or
0: wait? I mean, just do you agree, disagree? I agree with
1: you. And we'll wait to go deeper into that later.
0: Okay. Also, Quentin finally decides to let Alice go at the end of the episode, but only after he misses his chance to take out Reynard. Yeah, that was one of my complaints. So if he was going to eventually decide to let her go... Mm-hmm. He allowed the group to suffer Senator Gaines to be taken.
1: Yeah.
0: Well again not helping out uh-huh. Julia.
1: Actually this time I'm on Q's side. Because when are
0: you not on Q's side? Look it really? real. Yeah, you defended him hardcore last week. Well, I think
1: here's the deal. Julia didn't speak to him. He had no idea what was happening. All of a sudden he was pushed over.
0: Oh, agreed.
1: And he didn't even have a second to think about it. And then he was frozen, so he couldn't release her. So I think had he had more time to plan this out, one, probably would have come up with a better plan. Two, maybe he would have done it.
0: Well, I definitely agree that Julia is not doing the right thing. She is way to blame throughout the episode on her actions. She's acting like a crazy person. Yeah. But I also don't love what's happening with Quentin's character. He cannot ever seem to step up to the plate. He's so lost in his own shit. Even in this episode... It feels much less now like it's about Alice and more like it's about him. He can't get over his loss, his suffering. He can't get out of his head. He doesn't know how to handle any of this. And and I really am starting to get frustrated for him.
1: I'm definitely frustrated for him, but I'm not frustrated at him and the character. At least this episode, I definitely am not. He went through a lot. He was just in a cage. (laughs) Came up for air because I took... (laughs) because Julia took him out, which is another caged person that she took out, which we'll get into later, and he was thrusted into it. I, I, I mean, I'm repeating myself now, but uh, what do you expect from the guy?
0: Well, what I expect is that in season two for our main character, we would have one moment at some point where we feel a go Quentin <coughs> feeling, where, where we're happy and we see him succeed with something, anything. For example, yeah. take what Penny has gone through the past two episodes. You could certainly say that's worse than what anybody else has had to go through. Have we even heard him talk for two episodes about the fact that he still doesn't have magic? He doesn't have his hands. He signed his life away mm-hmm. in a contract to the library. And yet, the moment things come up, anytime time they come up, like in this scene, Penny, without a second's hesitation, walked right through those wards to go try to help Q. Yeah. He didn't even think about it. And you're never going to see that kind of reaction from Quentin. Now, I'm not saying this is all bad. I think Quentin is being written this way on purpose. Mm. And if so, I think they're doing a brilliant job. This is just like in the book, this unheroic main character. Uh, so I get that. And I really like it. But all things combined, I'm just I'm not feeling positive enough about <laughs> anything. Yeah. Except for the musical. The musical number was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought we needed a reprieve from the heaviness of this, the episode.
1: Well, what are we at? Episode nine. Correct. There's thirteen. Mm-hmm. So shit's gotta fall apart for them to have a crescendo, you know. So maybe we're we're watching the parts where things start to fall apart before they can come back. Right. So
0: that could definitely be. Yeah. I, I but I never like those parts.
1: <laughs> I'm really frustrated with commercial television.
0: Yeah, that's a little annoying too. I I, I liked. The musical, I liked the good... There was some really great emotional stuff happening between Katie, Penny, and Julia. That trio, all episode long, was brilliant, I thought. And especially the difficulty that Katie's going through, realizing and coming to terms with what's actually happening to Julia. Mm. That was wonderful. And I also liked the introduction of John Gaines, and we'll get to him in a minute. I did as well. Now, obviously, our one music note is from Les Mis, One More Day... Performed here by the magician's cast, specifically Hale Appleman, Summer Bishill, and Brittany Corin.
1: Wait, I thought the fight was today. It's <laughs> that was it's a figure of speech.
0: That was great. Let's talk new faces and places. First, we had King Idri, played by Leonard Roberts, who represents the King of Loria.
1: He was awesome, I and love as soon him. as I saw his face, I was like, I know that dude. We know him from—he's been in a lot of things, but he got Game, Drumline. Yeah. He was the other drummer that's nasty and really yep. good. American Sniper. And get this. He was Forrest Gates in Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
0: Oh wow. So
1: they're doing a little like, yeah, we know you Buffy <laughs> fans are watching us. <laughs> Here you go. He's he's ripped. He's older than yeah, us. he is. And he's he, looks, he good. looks good.
0: Next we had Senator John Gaines, played by Christopher Gorham, demigod son of Reynard, current US senator, unaware of his magic.
1: He's been in a plethora of shows as well. Now, there is a real Senator Gaines in California, state senator.
0: Yeah, they love to get cute with this kind yeah. of stuff, don't they? I liked I, his character. I, I really enjoyed the thought of somebody who has extreme power and yet doesn't know anything about magic.
1: I think they did really well in portraying his character because this could be difficult. He's supposed to be really kind at this point. Mm-hmm. Things just come to him and he and gets shit done. So how do you play that character without it being cheesy and like over the top? or boring. And I think he did really well doing that. Absolutely. And may I say, I think it was last episode or the episode before, where I looked up his birthday, and then what sign he was. Oh, yes. And it kind of still coincides.
0: Absolutely. Still works
1: at this point. Very trustworthy.
0: Kind of a a born leader, I think was part of it. Okay, next we had the fairy ambassador, played by Samuel Rokin.
1: It's ambassador. That was ambassador. That might be my mumbling.
0: Well, it's spelled D O R, so I guess. Well, I guess you're right. Huh.
1: <laughs> Senator. Senator. It's. This is really good podcasting. I'm sorry. <laughs> let's, let's let's go on. Keep
0: moving. He's the human ambassador <laughs> <laughs> to the fairies, and that takes me to my creatures whom i suppose you can say we saw the fairies this might be one of my biggest complaints of the episode i this is a personal problem i really enjoy (laughs) the serious magical moments the fantasy creatures that we get on this show and i was expecting something more along the lines of the white lady yes uh fairies are a tv show only invention they were not present in the books and I thought, if they're gonna introduce them, surely they're gonna do them justice. We're gonna get some fantastic costuming, great makeup. And you have this key, really pivotal moment that we've been fighting all season to try to fix the wellspring. We finally get to that climax of them being able to heal it. And it's what, a 10 second clip of a few hands waving yeah. over the water? <clears throat> and when we finally did get to see the fairies, they I was just very disappointed. At all. No. They look kind of
1: ghostly. Yeah, they
0: they describe them so well, too, this ancient and mercurial race. They do deals with steep prices, kind of what you picture. If you read fantasy about fairies, they can be good, but there's also a little bit of, they have their own culture and their own thing going on. Yeah. And last in this category, we have new spells and magic. First was the master sword fighting spell whatever you want to call the spell that Fen gave to Elliot. And Margot tells us that most sword spells usually take months to master because there's infinite variables in battle, except this one was specially made for kings, and it gives them knowledge of all masters who have come before them. I thought that was really cool.
1: I thought that was great, and <laughs> the whole conversation between Fen and Elliot was perfect because she almost slipped because like, they're lazy. You know, and (laughs) (laughs) he knew he could see right through it No, because they're too busy with their.
0: And this seemed like it was surely going to solve the issue because obviously Elliot's no master swordsman. Mm -mm. But because of him getting that crazy great sword and spell, I was then expecting to see at least a a minute or so of phenomenal sword fighting happen between the two of them. The whole thing was very silly, which I also enjoyed, but I never got that moment of, a minute of a real battle, fight. yeah.
1: Like a, you were. I was never worried for Elliot.
0: A second time in a row that we're supposed to be putting Elliot into high danger mm-hmm. and stakes as the king, and yet we sort of know he's going to come through okay. But along those lines, we also got the musical spell that Margot puts on Elliot, <laughs> causing him and everyone else to break out into song. And most interesting, in my opinion, the magic generator. This is sort of brushed over very quickly by Dean Fogg when he leads all of the kids and everybody at break Bills into the lab. Right. And they're experiencing the brownouts, which could bring down their wards and cause them serious trouble. But he says it's okay because the magical generator's here and that'll keep the wards up at least around the lab.
1: What didn't you like about that?
0: No, I love it. I just wish we heard more about it because it seems like he has his own storage cell sort of like what Mayakovsky was trying to figure out, how to save up a little bit of magic in times of emergency. And they've put it into some type of actual generator that they can use to keep the most important things running, like wards to keep out evil.
1: Now, I have a few gripes as well with this episode, and I'm going to sprinkle them in as we go along. But one of which is Mayakovsky. Now that the wellspring is fixed, that whole great storyline that they could have had with Mayakovsky, Mm -hmm. with him... Creating this battery—it's moot. Is that a dangling? Th- that's that what I meant sucks. by
0: dangling threads. Yeah, yeah. So hmm, you have them too. You just don't want to seem like the bad guy who gives no, them no. all up front at the beginning I do. of the I episode. always do. I
1: always do. But as an overall, I, I enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm. Here's another one for you. There was no real recourse to killing the whole species of trees.
0: Nope. Nothing. Doesn't seem like it.
1: Maybe. The Falorians are still mad at them, but they can't be because now they've gone ahead and saved the magic and saved them from the war, saved thousands of people from dying. What else can they do? Kill the beast, save the magic, save the war... Like, what else could they do?
0: Yeah, and I thought that this was going to help them in battle, because if we remember, the Lorians didn't actually have that great of numbers. They were increasing what it looked like they had through Alario's illusion magic. Right. Turned out they had under 3,000, but they had the one-way forest on their side. With Julia blowing up the one-way forest, I thought we'd see them get an edge. Another thing they brushed off very easily started this episode. Oh, well, the Florian soldiers are dipping out on us, on our rulers. And so now our numbers are low, too. But that that's really kind of a sweep it under the rug right. thing. And more than that, there was no ending to Julia being put into the White Spire dungeon. We thought, you had mentioned last time, the idea of her running into the Foo Fighter. Thing. Right. We still don't know what happened to And she was broken out very easily. So we didn't get to see anything with that.
1: Chris, I have a few fun facts that will not improve your life. Okay. Will not do anything to make you smarter. But that's what I do, right? So I have some real life magicians facts. Okay. Two of them. One of the most deadly tricks that magicians do is the bullet catch trick. Okay. That's where a gun is shot at them and they catch a bullet in their mouth Mm. with their teeth. At least 12 magicians have died attempting this trick. So I'd say it's not a trick if you keep dying.
0: (laughs) It's luck at that point? Yeah, how do you
1: practice that, you know?
0: How do you do that, period?
1: Yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny. And the most expensive magic show ever cost over $28 million. Whoa. And that's by Siegfried and Royd.
0: Of course.
1: I think most of their time was in Vegas, and they were probably making well over... That much money. Yeah. So it worked for them. And actually one last fun fact about real magicians is that I know a real magician. His name is Michael Carbonaro. <laughs> and he has this great show. He's had it on for like five years now.
0: Yeah. This is actually true. He, he's not kidding. He knows no, I know do.
1: him. It's on true TV. Mm-hmm. It's called the Carbonaro effect. And what he's done is he's been able to mix magic with humor and real life. I guess you would say like Punking?
0: Yeah, it's almost like he's doing pranks, practical jokes on them. That's
1: really good. So he'll set up environments. He does everything. Everywhere you think of, he, he sets it up. For example, he could be a clerk at a grocery store, and someone's buying a cantaloupe. And as he's doing it, as he's ringing it up, he'll go like, oh, wow, these cantaloupes. You've got to be careful, because if there's something inside, and he'll do something. It's a dirty one. It's a dirty one. And <laughs> he'll actually cut it open, and dirt will come out. It doesn't make sense when you're just talking about it, but it's something (laughs) to check out. And it's pretty cool because he he was over my house many years ago, like 10 years ago. And we were all hanging out, just chilling. He wasn't a big time magician yet. And he was doing tricks for me, Mm -hmm. which was pretty cool. And he smiled and I said, how come your teeth are so white? And him and his friends actually laughed at me. uh, Because they were veneers, Veneers. and I was just so ignorant. I was really young then.
0: He went to the same, I'm not going to say the name, but he went to the same college we went to also, right? Or did he just hang out with people that went there?
1: I think he just hung out with people that went there.
0: Okay. I wonder if he's a fan of The Magician Show. I wonder. It it seems like it would be up his alley. Yeah. They mix magic and humor.
1: (laughs) So he's really funny. He's kind of goofy, which, you know, I like.
0: All right, let's jump into our plot, since we've been talking a lot about the events in this episode.
1: So we start off with Quentin, and he's being kept in a cage in the Breakbills dungeon until they can figure out how to help him.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt so early on, but I have a big question for you. He's being kept next to a man who explains that it's protocol for him to be there. He's not a werewolf. He's quick to tell you. He has sexually transmitted lycanthropy. Did you recognize this man? No, I didn't. Okay, I have to put this question out to the Clatchers because I'm not sure. I thought he looked familiar. I wasn't... Sure, of the reason for having him there or bringing this into the storyline. Later, when we get to our fillery quest, it's called I Can Lie Can, and it's told from Josh Hoberman. In case you forgot, this is the character we met when we first went to Fillery, and he had gone with the rest of the third year students to take their spring break in Fillery, and they got stuck there. Hmm. Remember, they were keeping his friend yes. locked in the castle. Yeah. The Funny guy, yeah, funny. who was a bigger character in the books and sort of fell off in the TV show. He's the one in the filary quest online later talking to us about having contracted sexually transmitted lycanthropy.
1: Does he have a wolf face on or
0: at during part of it? Oh, and he's actually come up with a remedy, he creates his own fudge. That has magical ingredients and it can help deal with the side effects of being a werewolf. So I don't know if that was actually supposed to be him in the episode.
1: Maybe it was him then.
0: But if so, it's kind of weird that Quentin knows him, right? They met him in Fillory and that he didn't say, hey, Josh, you're a werewolf, (laughs) (laughs) BTW.
1: Maybe he was in such distress. It didn't matter to him.
0: So just to put this out there to you guys, Clatchers, did you catch that? Was it actually supposed to be Josh Holberman or just another random guy?
1: So now Professor Lipson inspects Quentin and says he's dying quickly. He has three options. Let Alice go free, box her where she will be contained forever, or keep her inside his trap where she's killing them both. Mm. Quentin says that's why he needs to box her, but Dean Fogg insists that Alice is already gone. And this is when Penny takes the button and transports away (laughs) with Katie. That was a funny scene, too.
0: He's just done with that whole situation.
1: <laughs> and that's when Katie gets her first visit to Fillory.
0: Oh, was this the first time she was first there time at ever. all? Yep. I never put that together.
1: That's why when they get there, she's like, oh, wow, this is their...
0: I knew it was the, the first dungeon? time she was in White This is nice. But I didn't realize, oh, my goodness, that takes on new perspective.
1: When alone later, Alice tells Quentin that not all Niffins are the same, and she isn't planning a killing spree if he sets her free. She wants to do what Joseph does. Beautiful, high-level magic. Quentin says he doesn't want to know the world without Alice.
0: Do you believe that Alice will not hurt people if Quentin lets her go?
1: I don't believe she will not hurt people, but I believe she will not hurt the people that Quentin love. Our crew. Yeah. Did you notice she was wearing more makeup during that scene? Yeah. So she was trying to adhere to his sentimentism, right?
0: She's been manipulating him since she first started talking to him. And that's why I think we can't trust a word that she says. Quentin is certainly worried about yeah. the repercussions of what would happen if he lets her go.
1: I was thinking, why did Penny take the button? And then I realized, so he can travel with Katie. Because since he lost his magic hands... He can only travel alone.
0: It's very easy to forget that he doesn't have magic right now because he never talks about it, and you do still see him transporting. But yeah, he's still dealing with that.
1: Yeah, he never really talks about himself. He never complains. You know, no one ever says, Penny for your thoughts? Yeah. Ooh.
0: <laughs> that was bad. Over at Whitespire, Elliot and Margot lament that they may be the least trusted monarchs in the history of Fillory. The brownouts are increasing, and the council says the priority should be fixing the Wellspring. But Margot thinks the war is most important. Elliot wonders how they will fight without an army. We hear that there have been deserters (laughs) from the Valorian army. It's then that the sloth recommends another option, one-on-one combat between monarchs, and he could use magic. There's no rules against that. They haven't brought it up before, as Elliot is likely to die, and no king has ever volunteered before. But if he were to prevail, he'd be considered the greatest leader in history. And this easily convinces Elliot.
1: (laughs) This scene was great. Uh, Arbicide. I thought that was funny. Instead of genocide. (laughs) Yes, And that's the only part where they talk about what Julia did at all. Yes. Mm -hmm. So one-on-one combat with some badass king. And Elliot says, if I did this, how popular would I be? Now, is this just to be loved or... Is it to get the Falarians on their side? Meaning, like, would this get them all joined up with us?
0: Yeah, for most of the episode, I... Not in a bad way, but I was convinced that Elliot was only doing these things mostly for his own benefit. You know, he was taken in with the idea of having everyone love him. And later I thought he had taken the king as his husband because he was thinking a little bit selfishly. He didn't want to be lonely. Then at the very end of the episode, he says something to Margot that makes me think he's really been mostly considering the future of Fillory more than anything.
1: Yeah. So you're more on that?
0: I I think so. I'm going to give Elliot the benefit of the doubt for now. Meanwhile, Katie and Penny sneak into the castle and go to find Julia in the dungeon.
1: Okay, first of all, (laughs) this is when you find out that Katie has never been there before and she's saying... Like, oh, this is the dungeon? It's so nice. And he's like... I can't
0: believe Elliot's ruler of all this.
1: And then Penny says, don't be fooled by high gloss. This place sucks. (laughs) Very Penny-like. Now, Katie just waves her hands and the guard falls. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. They have the shittiest guards. How bad do you want some awesome warriors with super magic to be the guards of the friggin' castle?
0: And they're getting a little carried away with Katie, I think, and her... Abilities? No, just being this stereotypical badass bitch. Like, she's always the one that's going to punch somebody in the face or snap her fingers and make them pass out. I don't want her to become that one-dimensional of a magician.
1: You see, you...
0: Like, their muscle. (laughs) 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 But I liked it here because Penny's not able to perform magic, so it kind of felt like she was taking care of him, which I enjoy.
1: And I don't mind her being the muscle, because who else do they have to be the muscle? They needed a muscle.
0: Well, it used to be Penny, who was really great with battle magic and Alice. And, of course, we have neither now. true.
1: Yeah. So she has to step up.
0: Mm -hmm. When they tell Julia, they're breaking her out because they found Reynard's son. They ask her why she's being kept there. So we do hear mention of the trees again. She laughs that there are now no more talking trees in Fillory in a way that made chills go up my spine. Yeah. In a very Martin Chatwin fashion.
1: What are you doing here? I killed trees. You killed trees? Talking trees. They're talking trees? Not anymore. That's crazy.
0: I'm just just laughing. And it's. <clears throat> From that moment that Penny realizes something's off. It takes Katie yeah. a long time to face up to that. And Penny doesn't even say anything here, but you can just see it in his face. Like, That's not funny. I was really surprised that he did this at all. That he said yeah. not a word to Elliot and Margot.
1: I know. I was thinking, is, has he given up on Fillory? Has he given up on those friends? Mm. And again, when you split up, bad things happen. They need to yeah. decide things and work things out together. As a group.
0: I love the introduction of his son. That makes me yeah. way more interested in everything. But I think I'm just not connected to Reynard enough as a villain. I really liked Martin Chet when as a villain. Yeah. I was entertained by him. him. I, I think so. I don't feel the same way about Reynard. Well, I think
1: what they're doing wrong, and I think this is what's bothering you, is that they, together... So there's two kings and two queens mm-hmm. of Fillory. So obviously... Q can't be there with them, and neither can Alice, so never mind that. But they have their friends. They're going to war that day, and they're not even worried about that. They're going to find the sun, which they could just wait on that, because the fox isn't going to find the sun.
0: They're safe in Fillory.
1: (laughs) So why don't you help out your fellow Fillorian king and queen?
0: And then work together to get rid of Raynor? Exactly. They don't even have a plan right now. It's not no. like oh, we have this thing and it's definitely going to beat him. It's, oh, we know where his son is, so let's go and wing it.
1: Let's show him what magic is. Yeah.
0: You know? We're getting and, ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, I can see Katie and Julia have been doing that this whole time, but I was a little bit disbelieving that Penny would be pulled into that because we know him to be smarter Yeah, when it comes to those types of things.
1: He's blinded with love, maybe?
0: Yeah. I can, I can give him that. And then back over to Margot, who says, Elliot is in over his head with this duel. There are only two sword fighting spells that anyone knows of, and they both take months to master, because there are almost infinite variables in any given match. He might get a few good moves in, but King Idri has fought 14 duels, and all of his opponents are dead. So he's a skilled swordmaster.
1: Oh, very skilled. It turns out Reynard's son is John Gaines a U.S. senator on the road to the White House. Penny says he did a psychic scan. Gaines has more magic coming off him than every magician on Earth combined, and yet he knows nothing about magic. He also did a scan when he was watching his speeches, Mm -hmm. and he believes everything he's saying, so he's not being manipulative using magic to manipulate the masses.
0: And he's not just a flat-out liar, as you might expect from a politician. He's actually a good guy trying to do good in the world.
1: And he's kind of hot as shit, (laughs) Yeah, as Katie puts it. They
0: had to add that in there, too.
1: Well, do you think they added that in there as a love interest in the future? She was the one that actually spoke to him and tried to help him out.
0: I think it was just a way to reinforce the kind of cutesy thing that's happening between Katie and Penny. Rediscovering their love for each other. Like, what? You think he's hot? Because she immediately responds with... Well, he's not really my type, though. You know, (laughs) it's not like that. (laughs) Very cute. But that's pretty incredible, though. More magic than every magician on Earth combined. And he's only a demigod. I don't think we've gotten a real perspective on the power of a god up until now. Yeah. That kind of puts it in focus.
1: And the fox is a real true god? He's
0: a full god. Jeez. Yeah.
1: Well, we don't have any perspective because Ember's a douche. And we don't know his powers.
0: Yeah, but it's like, now, how did Julia ever think they were going to beat this guy? How are they going to beat this guy?
1: They did not think it through at all.
0: We'll come back to them in a minute. First, Fen comes to Elliot and says she can help with his duel problem. Her grandfather forged a sword for a high king who banished without ever claiming it. It was made with an accompanying spell by Umber himself. And when it's written for a king, it's easy to perform. With both, he will be a master. It brings to him the knowledge of all people who have wielded that sword before him. Fenn says all her life she has put her family first, and now that means Elliot and their baby.
1: It's a super-duper sword.
0: This sentence is particularly important. Yeah. Because it foreshadows the way she's viewing the two of them, the child they're about to bring in this world, and the weight that's going to come with Margot's decision later. For sure. And they have another moment. He promises to try not to die again. You can see that rekindle something happening.
1: And he feels marginally less fucked now. Yes. That's so Elliot. But if it has the power to grant the wisdom of every sword wielder of that sword before, isn't that not much because everyone was a king who didn't know much? Or was it a great sword that her her grandfather endowed magic to? So or it is it had... just
0: every master swordsman, and not oh. necessarily those who have handled that blade?
1: That would be some, some good skills. And
0: if so, shouldn't he just have it? I mean, it kind of sucks that it goes, goes away, away the minute a blackout happens. You know?
1: Yeah, he should have it every time he wields the sword. Holes the sword exactly.
0: Yeah. I mean, Umber's magic is for shit, basically. Umber's he a punk. he says he's helping them, but it hasn't. They always come with a catch, the things that he grants them. Just I like guess the that's, that's typical, though, a story trope.
1: Penny, Julia, and Katie barge into the senator's office. Julia tells him magic is real, and they demonstrate so he'll believe them. Katie knocks stuff off his desk, Penny transports across the room, and Julia produces and holds fire in her hands. That was a cool part.
0: Pause. Why can't we have more moments like that in this show? Just just some throwaway
1: magic remember
0: there's magic yeah remember we can do it sometimes it works and it looks cool we're fucking magicians you know I don't need much like that made me so happy yeah I I don't know maybe I'm just I'm alone in that and I'm way too much of a fantasy geek but I think we're lacking in that at times here because everything can get so dark and our characters have a tendency to be so unheroic
1: why doesn't Julia throw fire more often for real if she can do that
0: that was pretty cool.
1: Because we've seen Penny do that, and we've seen Katie knock shit over like that. Mm-hmm. People over. So, uh, throw some fire. Julia tells him they are magicians being hunted by an evil god, and so is he.
0: We don't need him. We need his energy. No. You're born, huge energy. You die, bigger energy. Especially a demigod. That is what we are after here, people. The energy. Right now, he's just a skin sack hiding from us. Okay. You need something to hold that energy. Like
1: this? <laughs> Jesus. Oh you planned this all along.
0: Is this the stone Ilario gave her, or is this something else? I got a two-second look at it. I don't know. It didn't look like it.
1: That stone wasn't meant to hold magic. So exactly. I think,
0: okay, yeah. So this had to be something else, right? I just want to make sure I yeah, didn't I miss so. the moment where they came back to that.
1: When the senator gets angry and lashes out, he inadvertently knocks them all back with magic, but then faints. Penny stops Julia and says they won't kill him. We'll do something almost as bad.
0: There she is, getting out of control again. And I almost forgot what their plan was in the first place, but they had talked about the spells that people would use against gods back in the day when they were after women. And the fact that they took a tremendous amount of magic and they don't have that kind of power anymore, so they yeah. wanted to trap his magical power and be able to use it in some fashion. And I guess she thinks if they kill him, she can harness it into an object. We haven't heard about that type of magic before. That seems pretty high level. You can actually steal another magician's magic. Why don't people go around killing magicians all the time? Why doesn't a Martin Chatwin... Like Highlander. Why doesn't a Martin Chatwin constantly pop up and just become more and more powerful?
1: Yeah, why didn't they get his powers when he died? Because he
0: kills other people. I guess they didn't harness it, but...
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: still, I mean, he had to go through a lot coming to Fillory, drinking the Wellspring to get his yes energy. So th- I, this is another one of those areas where they bring in a concept that could be really high level and cool, but they don't do enough to tell me what's happening there.
1: And I knew that he would get angry and show some magic. I knew.
0: I yeah, knew. that was great. Funny that he still didn't believe afterwards. And it takes such a small thing... I kind of like it. Because he was starting to believe. Of how he believes it later. But even himself doing this, mm-hmm. he, he still doesn't get it about magic.
1: Well, it would take you a while, too, if someone just told you.
0: I think if I saw somebody oh, fire produce and shit, fire and yeah. in their hands, I might be won mm-hmm. over.
1: Question. Would you have killed him?
0: No. All right. No, definitely not.
1: Then how confident are you that you can get him on your side?
0: I think it... It was pretty evident even early on that he was a good guy and if he was shown the seriousness of the situation and what's at stake here, mm-hmm. that he might be brought over to the side of good. I would feel pretty strongly about that. I think most normal people with a shade <laughs> would probably <laughs> would see that as the better option and not just like, let's kill him.
1: So I guess that was her plan, just kill him. If you were going to do that, then don't even show him magic, just kill him.
0: I think she probably just came up with it on the fly. She had that thing with her in case oh, because she, she doesn't care anymore. If it comes to that, that's a totally viable option.
1: Then how would she kill the fox? Mm-hmm. Oh, by getting the, the the power. That's right.
0: Yeah, I wonder though. Uh, here's all these questions we have about it. Does she release it in one burst and then it's gone? Does she somehow take in the magic? It's very interesting. Good question. Let's talk about the well problem. Margot speaks with the sloth because she's the most honest one. She tells her they have a sword spell, but they need the wellspring to work so that there isn't a brownout during the duel. How can they guarantee that? The sloth says there is something, but she urges her not to do it. They could petition the fairies. Tick explains that the fairies exist outside their realm. They can be contacted, and they have great powers. They could fix the well, but they are notoriously mercurial. They make deals with steep prices. And they must contact their human ambassador, which could take a long time. But Margot says to do it.
1: Kinda like a deal with the devil.
0: Sounds like.
1: I really enjoyed Margot's reaction. The fuck? Like you haven't told us
0: <laughs> like this council is for shit. They don't yeah. tell them anything. They didn't tell Elliot the important fine print about his marriage. They're not telling them about the fairy, the wellspring. They kind of are bullshit.
1: <laughs> yeah. For sure.
0: But I agree with her at this point. I know these are hard decisions that she's making. You're not just talking about the future of your monarchy or fillery. It's everything. It's magic. It's fillery. It's earth. It's all magicians. She has to get that wellspring fixed. Yeah. So if they can do it doesn't matter what they ask for. We have to give it to them. I mean, at this point, we don't know that it's Elliot and Fen's child yet. But I think at this point, I would make the same choice.
1: Penny, Katie, and Julia return to the physical cottage with the senator. They bind him and stuff him in the closet, trying to avoid Todd's prying questions. Penny warns Julia to stay away from him. She's psychotic. Look, she's being a little extreme. Yeah, but she's got her reasons. Okay, just trust me. I know Julia.
0: That's not Julia. Even she knows that. The only person who doesn't seem to know that is you. It was a good conversation, really brief, but he highlighted how her caring for her is really clouding her judgment. This should be obvious to anybody what's happened to her. And I think in large part, this is probably guilt-driven. She left that day that Reynard attacked her. Mm -hmm. She feels partially responsible for not getting help, and now she's been trying ever since to get back at Reynard, and they haven't been able to do that either. It was all of that that led to Julia being pregnant, having this exorcism done, losing her shade. She doesn't want to feel like she's partially to blame for that. And the only way to fix it is to finish this, to get rid of Renard, to find a way to manage it, and to not admit that Julia will never be the same again. You know, and she she does care about her. They have been forging a bond together, but Penny's right. And this is what I was saying last time about Quentin, too. Not, nobody's really realizing the severity of what's happening until now. And, of course, it's, it's Penny again. Okay, Jason, are you ready to talk about the scene? Let's do it. <laughs> Elliot practices with the sword and spell, but still wonders if it will be enough. If he loses, they will all die or go to prison. He confesses to Margot he's scared. The stakes are high here. Margot reminds him of how great he was in Les Mis back in the day. And in all her reading that they've been doing, she found that soldiers would often sing before going into battle to calm themselves and project power. She thinks he should do it. She's kind of trying to wheedle him and he's (laughs) telling her, no, it's not the time and place. But she finally puts a spell. It's very subtle. She just kind of waves her hand a little, right? Right.
1: No she, no, she does some cool hand shit. She does? Yeah.
0: Okay, so then... She
1: does some hand thing to start the music, and then she does another hand thing, which slowly makes him start singing.
0: Yeah, he just can't control himself. He breaks out into song, and they all start up with this musical, including first Fen, and then Margot comes in, and I really liked what was happening that might have been easy to miss. They all three start singing together first, but then it starts to break off into Elliot and Margot singing to each other. Yeah. And enjoying their their bond, their dancing, their little number, and Fenn is sort of pushed off to the side, and she starts singing the part of the unseen one, you know, the woman that has been kind of shunted to the side.
1: Yeah. So it
0: tells a story. Yeah. And then... The council comes in, and eventually, they have everybody following them out onto the battlefield singing this song.
1: Elliot and Fen, particularly, had really good voices. The head of the council, his singing was b- pretty bad, but I really liked Elliot's voice, and Fen, especially in the beginning, was really I good. I
0: thought Fen was the best. Yeah. yeah Her sounded good. <clears throat> it culminates in them arriving to face Princess and King Idri. And S says that he likes that song. <laughs> He played Inspector Haver in the school play.
1: Typecasted.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. Good line. And they meet face-to-face to to start with this single combat.
1: I thought it was great because there was this great crescendo as they walk into battle. And then as soon as the music stops, the reality hits. Mm -hmm. And the other guys are there waiting. I thought the battle was today. (laughs) But I thought this was so cool that we're getting this musical number, especially considering that we just got back a couple days ago from watching Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And we really enjoyed that musical. Of course, who wouldn't? And I don't want to get too deep into it, because this will be our exclusive movie review episode this month for our Patreon members.
0: And it's going to be a doozy. Yeah.
1: And we already got the bonus out for this month. And it's never too late to join. You'll have, I think, five bonuses now. And this will be the fourth or fifth movie. I forget. The months are flying by. Mm Mm-hmm. But you want to take advantage of this, just give it one month's try. For the price of a coffee, you can become a Patreon member and get bonus content. It's the easiest thing to do. You sign up every month. You can decide you don't want to be a part of it anymore. You're not trapped in anything. And it really helps us out with just paying to continue these free podcasts. Just go to our website, coffeeclatscrew.com, and you'll see big orange letters, Patreon. You click on that and you can read all about it. Give it a try.
0: I think we're a fourth of the way towards hitting our first goal that we set for ourselves, which is going to help with a lot of things we're trying to do around here to improve the quality of the podcast and to keep us going. So any little bit is a huge contribution that moves us towards that goal more. We would really appreciate it. Like you said, I mean, $5 gets you an extra bonus cast Mm -hmm. every single month with lots of new content I think we had promised 40 minutes per episode, but we definitely usually wind up going like over that. And, half, yeah. and the next level up, you get the bonus as well as the movie cast. And those are really in-depth. We put a lot into that. I think if you are considering it, now is a really good <clears throat> month to check it out.
1: And all contributors have access to a special timeline where all the Clatchers can speak amongst each other in our own little environment. It's really cool.
0: And they've been doing that, putting up great comments, suggestions, Pictures. extra stuff that you can check out.
1: They're even doing voicemails where mm. they contribute to the podcast themselves with their own voice. And which we play really some
0: fun. of the responses on air.
1: Yeah. Even if you give us a dollar, it'll go a long way. We get thousands of listeners. If half of you give us a dollar, that'll pay for our bandwidth. And that would really help out.
0: We've also said it before. If you can't commit to the monthly membership, there's also a button on our website where you could just choose to make a one-time donation. And that's any amount that you would like to put in. Back to the episode, I had one more thing to add about our musical number. I thought the best part was midway through, Margot stops and says, sorry, I had to skip some verses. They're great, but they don't really apply to our situation. It
1: was perfect. (laughs) I love when they get out of the box like that. Watching them fight, what did you think? We have a man with a huge sword, who's obviously very knowledgeable in fighting, the Dilf. And we have our beautiful Elliot, (laughs) who's a little... (laughs) dangly and uh you know
0: he's not a little awkward the typical swordsman but he does have this spell on his side i'm feeling pretty good about it and it was funny because they only just start to get into this combat and idri ups and runs away it looks like he's bailing on the fight
1: and the way he runs there's no music it's just you hear him like running away (laughs) it's just it
0: and elliot kind of turns and says does this mean it's over did i win But S says, the battle isn't over until one ruler is dead. So Elliot runs after him. (laughs) It was good comic relief. Definitely. So as much as I did like the musical, it was also one of my qualms with the episode because I read a couple of articles and I agree that in order to obtain the rights to use that...
1: Must have been expensive.
0: They had to have paid money. And I did feel we were shortchanged so much in the areas, say, of the fairies getting some really amazing costuming makeup, even if they had to do some CGI for some of those scenes, we could have taken the money towards that. And that's not to say we couldn't have had a musical number. Right. They could have done anything and just not had it have been a Les Mis song.
1: Definitely the way the fairies looked, but also just making it really magical with them healing
0: the wellspring. That we, this was has the been worst. Our, this has
1: been our problem. The wellspring. This is a big issue that they're having. And instead of just a two-second clip of hands, they could have made this a brilliant, beautiful hands scene.
0: that I didn't even realize what was going on until it was almost over. The water just changed from one color to another. Yeah. This is supposed to be the font of all magic. Mm-hmm. In the universe, you need to give that. A 30-second clip, at least. It needs to be beautiful and magical.
1: And they should have made it where even the fairies struggled
0: we to fix it. We had to see it. it. That like, was it was very
1: <sighs> difficult for them, you know?
0: It was unforgivable. <clears throat> Definitely. Unforgivable.
1: So, they probably didn't have the money for that. And then, how about the money for the battle? This is how they were able to skimp on that, which was clever, making it a one-on-one battle so there's only a few of their I army still men, like that. Which is great, because you know, most expensive things is... Having an epic battle with a thousand people and on each side. we didn't side. need that. CGI and all that. No, we didn't need that, but they could have been a little more grandiose. They were just in a field. There, there, was there wasn't like 10 much people to behind it. them. You can see that they don't have much of a budget, which I didn't mind. But
0: But then you didn't even have Adrian Elliot sword fighting that much. Right. So if you're going to do the one on one, do it. Yeah. Actually make it happen. Don't just have them keep running away from each other, making Elliot look no offense, like a little bitch, (laughs) hiding up a tree. I mean, I love Elliot, but this is over the top. Um, I almost felt like, and I hate to say it this way, but they were stereotyping him a bit. Like I say, as much as I like the musical bit and the funniness, because that is the magicians and we needed a lighthearted moment, I'm not as 100% on board as everybody else because it kind of felt like a cop-out. Like, let's distract them with this funny musical number and they won't notice what we're not doing.
1: Yeah, maybe. But I noticed. This was actually one of my favorite scenes. Mm -hmm. Julia goes to see Quentin in the dungeon, but it's Alice talking through his body and Julia recognizes her. Just like I can see that your shade is gone. Which is how I know that your thoughts are pure, unencumbered. I'm right, aren't I? We both know life is not cloudy with regret, need, sadness. We both know life is crystalline, clear, cold, sharp. Yeah.
0: He's bleeding.
1: God, he's so weak.
0: Yeah, great scene. Did you like it because of Jason Ralph's acting having to be Alice inside of Quentin's body?
1: I liked it because of that, and I liked it because we had kind of like an inception. Basically, it was a person that is no longer herself without her shade speaking to a person who's no longer himself because of a Niffin inside of him who is no longer a person that she was because <laughs> yeah. she's a Niffin now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was pretty cool if you think about There's it There's a way. lot of layers. Yeah.
0: And I love that like recognized like. Yes. Julia knew immediately that it was Alice inside of there and that she was changed. And Alice knew immediately that Julia no longer had a shade and she was chained, changed. They were both unencumbered from something yeah. that held them back from being pure magic. And yet, I think it might have been easy to miss the really big thing that was happening here. 100% Alice is not Alice anymore. hmm The way she talked to Julia in that moment, reveling in being free of those chains, the world is clear now. Everything is magic. This is how it's supposed to be. Don't you see it, Julia? You're there now too. Julia did not. Not only did she not agree with her, she wanted to. For a minute, you could see it in her face. But she was immediately distracted by, wait a second, you're doing something to Quentin. He's hurting. He's bleeding. Something's not right here. So there is something of her humanity left that felt for him in that minute.
1: I don't think she's all gone. And I've said last podcast that they're going to find a way to fix her shade for sure.
0: I was really worried that they wouldn't be able to do that because it seemed pretty bad. We hadn't seen any moments of humanity from her other than this. But that was definitely there, and it also highlighted as how much it was not there anymore for Alice. I, I don't think there is any fixing Alice.
1: Uh, I, yeah, I guess you might be right on that. I can't foresee her being fixed, but maybe she can be that powerful being that comes in every so often to help them.
0: You would hope maybe. so. I, mean, I'm they, guess, I'm,
1: I don't think so, but I'm hoping.
0: They yeah. left it very ambiguous by the end of the episode. I know we'll we'll talk about that when we get there.
1: So this is, you see, this is where you really see how much Q is being affected. Mm-hmm. He's dying, literally. And Julia saw it firsthand. So again, for her to just throw him to the
0: Why, it confuses me yeah. for that to happen. After everything Quentin's experiencing, for him to not utilize Alice to help this situation and in the end just decide to let her go. Bad decision-making, yeah. guys. Really bad. I enjoyed the next scene where Reynard starts to call out to John in his mind, saying he can answer his questions and that John's place is with him. John is really disturbed by it. It actually seems like it's causing him physical pain. So they take him to the hospital wing of Breakbills. When they arrive, they see Julia was already there to get help for Quentin. They start treating the two. They put a patch on John's neck, the same one that they used for Penny to block psychic interference, and that stops Reynard's voice. Dean Fogg tells the group that Reynard shouldn't be able to get through the wards that they had put up initially for the Beast.
1: Yeah, as soon as he said that, I was like, all right, the ward's going to be in trouble. (laughs) Why was this your favorite scene? Or one of your favorites?
0: I I forgot it was cut here. It was the beginning of it. But I, I really like bringing John into the fold. The idea of a demigod child only now starting to realize the power who his father is. Like, it's a little Luke, I am your father-ish. Hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I liked that, and I liked the real intensity for the first time, actually feeling a serious danger. There's always danger for the crew, but there seems to be this lightness to everything at hmm. the same time. Yeah. Like it's not legitimately scary, scary. We've had a couple moments that were really scary throughout our seasons, and the idea that the whole school could be in jeopardy and they're soon going to have to be shunted to a safe area with wards around it, a magical generator, magic failing. Everything that used to protect them could be on the brink of collapse. It felt intense.
1: Yeah, for sure. I was yelling, how the hell did Reynard find him? But then we do find out later on. Mm -hmm. The duel continues in the woods as Margot watches from the grounds through a magical pool. One of the council tell her she must come now and meet with the ambassador to the fairies. He won't wait. Elliot manages to knock the sword from Idris' hands, but then the wellspring browns out, and Elliot runs and hides up the tree. He was so close to to defeating him.
0: It was just so silly, the fact that he was hiding up there. Outside, Reynard is investigating the wards when they go down because of the magical brownout. I like the way they keep connecting... And reminding you, it's happening here on Earth, too. Whatever you see going on in Fillory, there's a brown out there. We lose magic here, too. Right. Because it can feel so disconnected, like it's two totally different places. And Dean Fogg, inside, leads them all to the lab, where they have an emergency generator that can keep the area warded, hopefully long enough for them to think of something else. Inside, Katie tells the senator that he has used his powers all his life without knowing it, to create him a world made to worship him. And it's not until she points out that every bill he's ever sponsored has been passed, including the boring farming one, that John finally realizes it's true.
1: Yeah, even when his parents died, the $20 million, that's pretty good luck.
0: She says something that logically makes sense to him in his universe. Didn't you ever think about the fact that... Every
1: bill. Every
0: one of them. So he, he gets it.
1: Would that make you feel less proud or more proud or indifferent of, of the accomplishments you've had? Oh, it's all been because I have magic?
0: Yeah, I think initially I'd feel a little bummed about then, that. Yeah. But then there'd probably be that realization holy shit. Yeah. I have magic and I have legit magic, strong stuff.
1: And when the fox walks into Brakebills as soon as the spell is broken, mm-hmm. I love the way they panned away from him and up because it felt like. I was scared I was like, "Holy mm-hmm. shit.
0: what's he going to do?
1: I was like it's a it's like a fox in a chicken coop. like everyone is powerless. He and can then destroy. again he, he
0: still wound up doing nothing we We keep getting these moments that don't sort of escalate. Well,
1: he didn't do nothing. He did the last thing we wanted him to do, which was get his son. Well,
0: yeah, but everybody was okay for yeah. now at the end of the day. uh but yeah, i felt I felt really afraid in that moment. I liked the idea of the setup they had here. Mamma mia, mamma mia. But I'm going to stop you there. We go back to Margot, who meets with the ambassador.
1: Wait, say that again. I think I was singing over that.
0: But I'm going to stop you there. We go back to Margot, who meets with the ambassador. He tells her the ways of the fairies are as implacable as they are ancient. He says they can bring back the wellspring, but in return, they want a royal child of Whitespire, who will be raised as a fairy. Surprisingly, she's okay with this when she thinks Mm -hmm. it's her kid. She's going to have to have, you know, like, I'll pop one out and give it to you. Uh, I wouldn't
1: say surprisingly. I felt like in this manner, Margot would be the one to step up and do this.
0: Because she made the deal. So she has to follow through on it.
1: She made the deal or she's making the deal. But also she's running out of time. Mm -hmm. She needs to make up her mind. And I don't think she's really a baby bearing, loving person anyways.
0: Probably not. But that would be no easy thing to do for anybody, and yet I do feel like she has that kind of character. If I'm the one making such a difficult deal, surely I'm the one that has to follow through on it. I have to live up to that. Right. But he tells her it's Elliot and Fenn's baby that he wants. And because Margot insults him at that point, it puts an end to the negotiations. Tick informs her she must honor the deal as it stands, or not at all.
1: Talk about negotiation skills. She didn't even insult him. She used vulgar language Mm -hmm. and basically her counsel doesn't even help. Like, oh my God, you've offended him. Now he will no longer speak to you. There's no longer. They're
0: useless.
1: (laughs) They'll no longer go back and forth. It's either yes or no. It's Mm -hmm. like, come on.
0: It's then that she goes to speak with Fen privately. Elliot's going to lose if he hasn't already. Without magic, he's basically unarmed and the wellspring's
1: gone black. You have to do something. I think I can, but I need you to promise me that if magic is returned,
0: Elliot lives, and there's no war, then you will do exactly what I tell you. Of course. Whatever it is. Yes, please, don't let him die. And When the ambassador overhears, he praises her for being most skillful, and she retorts, no, she's a manipulative cunt.
1: <laughs> I thought that was perfect. She needed to say that for us not to hate her too much because she knows how bad this is.
0: Yeah, she understands.
1: Do you think if she told Fen, she would have said yes?
0: Yeah, I really... Like I said, not that it would be easy on her, but I think that if she was faced with that kind of peril, Elliot's going to die, we won't be able to save magic, the battle against fillory it's it's too much i think she would have been strong we've seen Fenn to have that type of character that she has to do what she can
1: the two kings talk as elliot tries to wait out the brownout this is when elliot does his elliot thing and tells him he's cute or something Mm -hmm. like that i thought was great he said it way better than that and king adri says he understands he says his love for a late wife kept him from choosing a husband too he also finds elliot attractive and it's a shame he had to kill him but one of them must die. So he proceeds to start chopping down the tree. I love Elliot's reaction to that too.
0: Yeah, and man, that's a big ash tree. How long is it going to take him to chop that shit down with a, a sword? sword.
1: <laughs> a long oh time.
0: <laughs> but I think obviously neither one of them actually wants to kill each other. They're starting to come to understanding one another.
1: Yeah, they're starting to come to understand one another. Do you think the king is actually attracted to him? Because I thought he was at first.
0: But now you think he's playing him?
1: Well, if you think about it, the Lorians came to say that they wanted to have a hand in marriage, which was with Margot and the son.
0: And they wanted a 50-50 Wellsprings play.
1: Exactly. He's still getting everything he wanted, but now it's just the king marrying the high king and 50%. So in essence, there was really no compromise. They got exactly what they wanted.
0: Except that Fillory got to avoid a war.
1: Well, I mean, the Lorians had no compromise. They got exactly what they wanted. So I I wonder if he really loves him or if that was just...
0: Well, I think neither of them love each other. I think they both genuinely like each other, respect each other, are probably attracted to each other. But I also think they're both using each other. Okay. And they see it being easier to keep an eye on one another if they're close by.
1: Because Elliot's using him to stop the war and to get everything on a cool slate so he can actually start to make Fillory better. But he's also using him so that he, his one big misery here is that he can no longer have the sex life that he did before. He couldn't even get it up with her. And now he can. He can and have And I this think man. Fen
0: was becoming a little too much for him. She was very attached to him, and he knew he was never going to be able to totally feel the same way about her.
1: She'll so will still kind be of, that This way, kind probably. of puts
0: that at bay a little bit.
1: Now, I told you a while back that I trusted Fenn, barring anything drastic that would make her no longer trust him. Yeah, she this might be is that not drastic for
0: thing. a minute going to be okay with this. And if there was ever a chance in hell she would have agreed to the giving up the baby thing, now after what Elliot's done and Margot lying to her, she's not going to do it. It's going to be internal civil war. So he avoided a war with Lorians, but now you're going to have the Foo Fighters back on his ass because she's going to go back to them.
1: Exactly. So that was the one thing that I said, barring anything drastic. Yeah. So.
0: Oh, by the way, honey, I took home another husband and we have to give up our firstborn. No problem with you though, right? I mean, how does Elliot not see that this is going to be an issue? Is he blind?
1: I love his saying, I would age like fine wine.
0: (laughs) And you're a dilf. (laughs) Okay, back to Breakbills. Julia leads Quentin away to the edge of the wards. She tells him to make a deal with Alice. If she kills Reynard, he frees her. And then she pushes him back outside of the wards right next to Reynard. Reynard says, even with the thing that's inside Quentin right now, he's nowhere near as interesting as Julia. What do you make of that? An all-powerful Niffin being contained inside of there and julia is still more interesting
1: maybe there's something about julia we have yet to know Hmm. intriguing
0: and it's not just the shade thing because he already found that out last episode that she had a little shade amputation
1: (laughs) i wrote my notes what the fuck julia what a bitch (laughs) as soon as she pushed him my
0: god i know Penny immediately rushes in to try to save Quentin, but Reynard freezes them both and starts talking to Julia again and It's then that John walks up. he tells Reynard not to hurt the others, and because Reynard really only wants John, he takes him and leaves
1: and he's already manipulating John, saying, mm-hmm. Oh, I, w- I had no intention of hurting them.
0: I wasn't going to hurt them. I was afraid they were going to hurt, hurt you." you. My son.
1: This is also the scene where we find out how the hell the fox found out who his son was. And there you go, the security camera.
0: And major oversight that nobody thought to sit John down Mm -hmm. and tell him. Remember that evil god guy that we were talking about? Okay, he's your father. Yeah. (laughs) He's a trickster fox. These are all the things he does. I know you're just learning about this whole magic thing and you're going to meet your father for the first time, but you need to... I guess they didn't have time to kind do that. Kind of be appraised. That. <clears throat> that's that's dead important. They were in the office explaining shit to him. They had to, they had to tell him some of this stuff.
1: Well, the other oversight is something that you brought to my attention, which was Julia never even wore that magic necklace that she had made by the illusionist to be invisible to the fox.
0: This was supposed to give her her in to take care of him. And instead, she just pushes Quentin into the ring. Set your Alice sniffing free. <laughs> Let's do it.
1: I have a question for you, and I believe I've asked you this before. Do you believe you're a product of nature versus nurture?
0: Do you mean, do I think I'm one or the other?
1: That the same person could be a different person if given a cert- different circumstance growing up.
0: So that's nurture. Yeah. Yeah, nature, this is an ongoing psychological argument. Are we more shaped by things that are totally out of our control, biological presets, you know, our DNA, DNA things that exactly. we inherit from our parents, that would be nature. Or is it more nurture that two people with the exact same set of biological readings
1: with could different respond life totally differently with life experience? I
0: happen to believe that it's a firm 50-50 split.
1: That means you don't know. <laughs>
0: No, I really, truly believe that we're very strongly influenced by our nature, mm-hmm. regardless of our nurture or upbringing, what we do to fight against things. There are things that are programmed in you that you cannot change. Okay, They're there, and there's nothing you can do about it. But I also believe that's not everything. And yes, two kids could grow up identical twins, In a different environment. But in different environments turn out to be two sort of different people.
1: Okay, so do you believe in the nurture part enough that it's a good chance that Senator Gaines won't be manipulated and persuaded to join the Fox?
0: Yeah, well, because you also have to take into account that Reynard is only 50% of his.
1: Oh, that's right
0: makeup unless it's yeah it's
1: the powerful part though unless
0: it's different with gods now i don't know maybe it's just a womb that houses them you know does the mom actually contribute anything
1: how big is the room
0: biologically to that you know she might not she might just be housing him until he's ready to be birthed
1: so it's a womb in the house so living womb oh my god bed womb sorry i'm getting tired
0: that that would be important though, because that makes you really way more yeah. Reynard's son than anything. But they do still call him a demigod, insinuating he's part human, takes part from his mother. That already helps him out, if she's not an he evil trickster like fox. Guy, he seems like a good guy. But at the same
1: time, he was still in pursuit of power, but in a good way, a becoming good way. a president, to be in power of the people, but yeah, for the people.
0: He was using his power in a good way, which I I think already exemplifies what he would do with power. He already Mm -hmm. had that test put to him and proved that he was capable of handling it. I think it depends on what face Reynard shows him and what he promises him. Because he might not necessarily think he's doing something bad. But we've already seen him trying to manipulate him. What if he talks him into doing something that John thinks is... For the good? For the good, I could see that being where it goes wrong.
1: Julia killed your brother. Your mother. And your mother.
0: Dana, who's probably dead now. Jeez. The haxen-paxen that was guarding you. A forest full of sentient trees.
1: He doesn't know that, though. (laughs) Yeah, You you know? (laughs) And this is when we get that quick shot of the fairies fixing the wellspring. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Just their hands. And back to Idri chopping at the tree. Elliot sees the magic returns, re-ups the sword spell, and hops down to face him. Magic's back, bitch.
0: And then Julia wakes to find herself in a locked room. Katie had her placed in a clean room where there is no magic inside of Breakbills. She has finally realized that she's been making excuses for Julia, but she came to her senses after seeing what she did to Quentin. After all, it was just luck that he survived, she says. Julia fed him to Reynard. And all Julia sees anymore is what she wants.
1: I've been trying
0: to understand you.
1: At least that's what I thought what I've really been doing is trying to make excuses for you. But I can't anymore. Not after what you did to Quentin, today.
0: You don't feel anymore, not the way a human does, Katie says. She knows it's not her fault, but until they can figure something else out, she needs to stay there. And I was really happy that we had this moment because katie's very smart and because of everything we talked about earlier i can appreciate why it was hard for her to get to this point but i'm glad they didn't leave us with that continuing that she came to her senses and somebody's got to take control of this situation
1: but after all that damage she did now she's back in the spot really that she was in the beginning of this episode who's that julia
0: stuck inside a cell you mean yeah yeah, but no magic. No magic. There's nothing she can do to get out of that.
1: If the crew had spoken to Elliot and Margot beforehand, we wouldn't be in that position. Yeah. yeah. If they had spoken to him, they'd be like, all right, yeah, you, you need to find the fox. This is what Julia's up to. She's not in her right head. we got to figure that out. But we're about to go to war. Can you help us out with this first? Elliot returns to the castle with Idri as an honored guest. They came to an agreement, they are getting married. It turns out all Philorian monarchs are entitled to both a wife and a husband, <laughs> and no one told them that. Mm-hmm. So no one has to die. They both are going to get married, and there's a 50-50 split of the wellspring. And peace. But 50-50 split, does that mean they're going to take 50% of the liquid out? Because won't that affect the magic? Or somehow enemies? just
0: they pull 50% of the magic? I I mean, I feel like it's plenty of magic for everybody. Who cares?
1: Yeah, why don't you guys stop living way the fuck out in the Why Barons? do they need a
0: percentage? Come live what, in you, fil- it, None of it really makes sense. What happens to the people that live all the way on the islands? Do they get no magic? And if so, why is Earth getting so much magic? Lori oh, is right there, question. and they're not getting any, but Earth and all these other places get plenty. Dude.
1: that. that's a good question. <laughs> hmm. He privately explains to Margo that it's not just for him. He will be able to f- perform diplomatic espionage during pillow talk. <laughs> the council informs them all that the wellspring is fixed. That's when the fairies show up.
0: And shit's about She's to She's the only down. one that saw
1: the fairies. And everything is coming up Elliot.
0: Yeah, not for long, I think.
1: I love that, though. Well, <laughs> everything's coming up Elliot. Meaning everything's good. Yeah. That's perfect. I want to be his friend. I want to hang out with him.
0: And in our final scene, Alone in a Field, Quentin crushes his niffin box, deciding he can't bring himself to contain Alice for all eternity in there. However, he can't keep her inside of himself anymore either. It's killing them both. So reluctantly, he sets her free, saying he hopes she won't do evil. Alice breaks out, takes one long, ambiguous look at him, and shoots off into the sky in a streak of blue light.
1: That was pretty cool. Where's she going?
0: I don't know. And what did that look mean? It it went through about 10 different emotions. Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out, was there any Alice left in there? Did she care at all about Quentin? We assume it's a good thing that she didn't just kill him, but will she go do evil elsewhere now? And how is Quentin going to feel about that? There's no stopping her at this point now that she's free.
1: I guess she's going to see Friar Joseph first, right?
0: Well, yeah. To learn from him. But he he's not going to be able to contain her now or do anything if she decides she wants to just join up with Reynard, go on a killing rampage. I mean, what could they do?
1: Well, Friar Joseph seems to be, well, he's not killing everything because no one really knew about Friar Joseph. So that means he's kind of chilling, doing his thing. So maybe he'll teach her his ways and his magic and maybe she'll be...
0: We don't really know what he's about though. I think that it's very optimistic of Quentin to think he's over there doing beautiful high level magic. We well, just I don't, don't think know he was that thinking yet.
1: that. I think he was just thinking that she promised him and and they'll be fine, but she gave him a pretty devious look yeah. before she bounced
0: and is this going to take a back seat now to the trouble with Julia because without getting too deep, they do highlight that in the preview for next on episode, so um, I'm not sure which one is going to be. Take well,
1: I think he's given up. He's no longer going to... Well, he believes he'll no Alice. longer be encumbered
0: right. by Alice. So if his focus will be on Julia, you think Julia can be saved?
1: I believe they're going to at least try. Mm-hmm. And I think she will be.
0: I have a few more questions for you. The first was about what's going to happen when Fenn learns about Margot's decision. Do we feel pretty firm she's going to go back over to the Foo Fighters and give up on them?
1: I think there's a strong possibility.
0: And do you think Elliot's going to learn about it simultaneously too? And what is he going to do to Margot?
1: I don't think Margot was ready to tell them, at least in front of everyone else. But I have a feeling Margo is going to tell him first alone. And then now the burden is going to be on Elliot to tell Fen.
0: How do you think he's going to respond to Margot once he finds out she promised that? Do you think he'll be mad at her? Because their Ah. bond hasn't, they've been through a lot and it hasn't really been tested. And I feel like it's the only thing keeping them together. I mean, what does Margot really have here in Fillory that she feels strongly about other than Elliot? Nothing. I mean, Elliot, for the first time in his life, from the moment he got there and made this decision to stay, felt like he finally had something. He had purpose. He had a reason to try. He wants to be a good high king. Margot didn't even really want to come here. You know, she sort yeah. of stepped into it because it suits her to be a queen, but she's found that ruling is no fun. She's the one having to make the hard decisions, and I think Elliot was the only thing propping her up. So a crack in that relationship could mean big problems.
1: Well, I think it all depends on how she tells him. He's going to be pissed no matter what, but how pissed and will he shun her away forever depends mainly on how what she says. If she says... I had a split decision to make. I knew you were about to die. Mm -hmm. I knew magic was going to be gone forever. And this was the only way to do it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Maybe he'll be pissed, but kind of understanding after a while.
0: Do you think they had nefarious plans for this baby or just to make the fairy race more powerful? Why a child of the Florian monarchs?
1: I don't think it's nefarious.
0: Okay. And final thing where that's concerned, will Quentin ever go back and actually rule Fillory? Not just come in and out and dick around a little bit, but will he actually do what Elliot and Margot are attempting to do right now? And along those lines, will we ever get a fourth ruler on that throne now that Alice is gone?
1: Hmm. Well, I think it's pretty deep if you think about it, that Q was the only one who, one, believed in Fillory, and two, wanted to go there and live there. And he's the one... That hasn't been able to.
0: And thought he was going to be high king. Yeah.
1: Now that he has this burden off his shoulders, literally, maybe this will allow him to go back to Fillory and and chase the dream he actually had.
0: I think he needs to do that. I think, honestly, that's the only thing that can help him right now. He needs to go there and rule and get his mind on. The way it helped Elliot, I think it could really help Quentin too. And who's the fourth child of Earth going to be? I mean, we kept thinking all along, why isn't Penny being offered a position? This is kind of bullshit. But now that Katie's there, too, how do you offer it to one and not the other? Mm,
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's a good question. Once again, Dean Fogg wasn't there to help.
0: And once again, no more resolve on the Penny in his hands and this magic thing.
1: Or the library. Right. And what that means.
0: I guess they're in no rush to come chasing after him if we haven't seen that yet. I feel good about that.
1: Well, apparently they're in no rush to fix them either.
0: Good point. Okay, Jason, let's do our rating. What do you give episode nine on a scale of one to 10 crowns?
1: I went 8.8. 8.8? Yeah.
0: Pretty high. You were at a 9.1 or three last time?
1: 9.1.
0: Okay, so you're only a little down from that.
1: Yeah. Well, as I said, there were some holes. There were some things that we could scrutinize, but I wasn't bored. And that's what really matters to me.
0: Okay, I gave it an eight.
1: Now that you've explained what your feelings were, that's understandable. But you said this was your least favorite, but this is nowhere near your lowest no, score. No, I,
0: I said it was my, my least after The Cock Barons. Both of us really did not like that. It was the only episode we rated sevens on. I gave it a 7.5, you a 7.8. So I knew I liked it more than that. But my next step up from that was all the way to an 8.5 for episode two, Hotel Spa Potions. So I tried to weigh out. I liked it a little in between (laughs) those two, and thus I went with an 8. Okay. But that's still a really great rating. I mean, really anything 7.5 and above is good TV for me. It's just a matter of how much. Mm. Um, It is a big drop from my 9.5 last time, but that was my favorite episode so far.
1: And for most valuable magician, who do you got?
0: I have Fenn.
1: Fuck, I put Fenn.
0: Stop it. She's the most obscure character. How could it be that you put her? Let me
1: explain first.
0: Well, you asked me first. I know,
1: but now so that you know that there's really (laughs) a reason why I did it. Okay. I put Fenn because everyone else made their mistakes. Margot, she did save the day, but she made a huge sacrifice that we don't know
0: Mm.
1: what the results will be. Agreed. Julia... Come on,
0: <laughs> she
1: messed a lot of shit up. Katie was good, but she's been you know more crucial. On and on and on. We've given Fen was penny the one, too many
0: times. <laughs> yeah,
1: and Fen was the one that gave Elliot the sword, saved and the day explained with how her to magic, do it. and basically well, her grandfather's magic. But yeah, you know. so that's why I gave it to Fen. What's funny is she's also the one that is going to be hurt the most from this episode.
0: Well, because she was self-sacrificing, not only. Has she given up her idea of a future, fallen in love with a man that she knows doesn't love her back and can never love her back the way she loves him? She gave up what used to be her allegiance to the Foo Fighters. And you have to figure that in Fillory, if you're part of this group that feels that strongly to all of a sudden turn and go to the other side to be on the child of earth side, Mm -hmm. that's got to make you kind of an outcast in your own society. So she's sort of given up her old family and friends because she believes in Elliot so much. And she started to come over to Margot as well. And I think the whole speech and what they went through of almost losing Elliot last time made her and Margot very close. So when she gives him the sword, she tells him, nothing used to matter to me more than my family, but you're my family now. Mm -hmm. You and this baby, this Mm -hmm. is it. I want this to work. I want you as a ruler to work. I believe that you can fix Fillory. Mm -hmm. And now, God, he comes home with another husband. She's going to find out that Margot betrayed her, offered up her firstborn. She's going to be really cast aside. And that's the thing is this might be our last time to really name Fen Mvm if she reacts badly to all of this, so... Yeah, I've really liked her so far, and I think that she's a good person. She's trying her best. Well, I think that about wraps it for me, other than our Clatcher's comments.
1: Want to give a huge shout-out to Sci-Fi Sarah and Assistant Wizard for leaving us lovely reviews on our Magicians podcast channel. We really do appreciate that, and please keep those coming.
0: We've had a lot of really cool comments and short write-ins over this past week, but I know we're running long with this episode. I picked out two that I thought were really excellent emails. They brought up some questions that I had done more research into, so they're going to take a little longer. Well, First, I want to talk about Haley's email, just kind of summarizing her main points. She wishes that the group would come together more to solve their problems instead of going off onto their own as they have been doing, which is a... feeling that we've had often Absolutely. throughout this season. She also asked us a couple of questions. She said, in Word as Bond episode, didn't Alice promise not to hurt anybody? Do you think she would hurt any of our crew? I think we kind of already went over that. She is seemingly capable of violence towards others, but hopefully not towards any of the main group. She says she listened to an interview with Jay Taylor, and they talked about the possibility of a romantic relationship between Julia and Katie. What do you think about that?
1: I don't think that's going to happen, no. I think it's more of a tight relationship of best bitches, or it was at least.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of digging for something that's not there. I think that they have a really strong friendship. And it's actually, I feel like any time people are looking for something deep, it's like, oh, would they be in a relationship together? But I think this could be even more meaningful than that. They've been through life and death circumstances. Katie had nobody in the world when she turned to Julia. Julia was at the end of her rope. Then the trauma that they experienced together, going through the stuff with the Beast and (laughs) reynard they got to be really close. And um, this is hard what's happening between them now (laughs) haley also asked a really cute question that i never thought about this before but it must sound like it to people that listen to us she says do you and jason watch the show separately and talk about it for the first time on the podcast because it sounds like we're surprised by each other's reactions
1: well we don't watch it separately but we do take our notes separately on wednesdays christina gets out of work so late that we start the episode at like 9 30 and we do a lot of pausing for taking our notes so when by the time the episode's over, we close our laptops, and I go to bed.
0: We go right to bed.
1: So we don't really have time to discuss it at all.
0: But we kind of purposely also don't talk about it even the next day up to recording. We then go and edit our notes separately. I come up with the master notes, um, mostly for the skeleton of the podcast. And then you have your notes on each area, and we read and contribute as we go along but those reactions that we have, we try to save them for when we're recording yeah. so that you hear our genuine responses to each other and right. not a scripted kind of reaction. Exactly. The only thing that's scripted is I write the plot summaries for what we've seen, right? some of the hardcore info, the numbers, and stuff like that.
1: And in real life, when we're done recording, we don't talk to each other. We actually hate each other.
0: <laughs> we talk about every other show except the one we're recording on. And finally, she asked for a list of the other podcasts that we do.
1: Absolutely. We hope that you listen to all of them. We have a awesome Sherlock podcast. It has its own channel. Just search Coffee Clatch Crew and you'll see all these, all the channels there.
0: Five different pages, right? Channels?
1: I believe five.
0: At present. Well, let's start with we have the main Coffee Clatch Crew. That's right. And that channel has everything that mm-hmm. we ever put out. So if you're looking for the whole shebang... You'll find every TV show we cover there, as well as some of the older CKC ones that talked about general topics.
1: Yeah. And then we do the Sherlock one, Mm -hmm. which you should definitely listen to. And we have a surprise for the Sherlock channel coming out in a month or so. But that's all I can say.
0: Yeah. We've only done one season of that so far. But we have Game of Thrones, which we've done three.
1: Three seasons. Now, we did that when we were fairly green, to podcasting. So I stupidly put background music on most of it, and it does annoy some people. And I do apologize about that. I do want to someday go back and take those out, but it's a lot of work.
0: And the earlier ones, we really didn't know what we were doing yet. I'd like to say towards the end, we got a lot better, mm-hmm. the most recent episodes. So if you want to listen to better quality ones, yeah. do the more recent Game of Thrones on, and we will be coming back with that again this summer.
1: But the content is always good because you were an avid book reader. And I I love the show and we do get a lot into the content and it's pretty good. I think that 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 part you'll enjoy.
0: That was the only show up until this one where we had that dynamic Mm -hmm. of me being the book reader and you not and you just seeing the TV show. That's part of what really drew me to being excited about doing magicians. We also did Mr. Robot, seasons one and two.
1: One of our more popular ones. Those are great listens. And if you haven't seen Mr. Robot, please at least watch the show. It's an amazing show
0: deep psychological content.
1: I think you'll really enjoy that one. And lastly, our most popular one.
0: And one of our most recent, Westworld.
1: That one's great as well. And we had some partners there, uh, Ryan Gemmel and Jamal Patterson
0: Mm.
1: were frequents on the show and and we really get into it. I think you dig that Yeah,
0: same on Mr. Robot. So that was good because it's a different type of dynamic more than just me and you.
1: So thanks for listening and thanks for being interested.
0: Oh, and then always the Patreon stuff which oh, yeah. we talked about. Patreon,
1: definitely check out our Patreon. It's worth it. Try it for one month. Quick shout out to at DJ Anastasia on, on Twitter. She wrote to us: "Season nine, episode nine has to be my favorite episode so far. I'm looking forward to your review. Well, we really, really appreciate that. Hope you're not mad at us for it's not us <laughs> for our, our least our favorite. favorite but <laughs> Hopefully
0: well, it's not we'll my be. least.
1: Excuse me."
0: We've I enjoyed nearly. it. It's just not my favorite. Come on. let's, let's Don't just try to be good cop here. <laughs> all right? You had your criticisms too. We can't win them all. We don't like them all. Still one of the best shows on television. And yeah, I'm sure, sure we'll be right back up there again next week.
1: And also, shout out to at Aminon Jones. She writes, this episode took me out. I'm emotionally exhausted. Can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts on this next <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, I hope you liked our thoughts. And thank you for tweeting us. Keep those coming, and if you haven't yet, you can follow us at CKC Podcast.
0: Okay, and last but not least, we got an email from first-time writer, I believe, Kai, who says, I too am a fan of Penny, and you've been discussing his sacrifices and how he's the unsung hero of the group. I completely agree, but there's one thing that bothers me a bit about how his sacrifices have escalated, from saving the day countless times to literally signing his life and soul away. This is the fact that Penny is the only character who is specifically written as a person of color in the main crew. Now, I'm certainly not going to chalk up the way that he's treated by the group to the fact that he's brown, since every bit of your in-depth analysis of his habits and personality is true. He tends to try and work things out by himself. His powers are unique to him, and he definitely likes his snappy, sarcastic comebacks— Yet Arjun Gupta's casting was deliberate, and the script shows Penny is also aware of the fact that he is the only POC. By one of his lines, that's actually one of my favorite quotes. (laughs) Quentin, we could go hunt her together. Penny, let's go hunt the white lady? People like me get shot for saying shit like that.
1: (laughs) I love that Also one of
0: my favorites, Um, which is from the ever quotable episode, The Flying Forest. I paused the show and laughed for a good five minutes. As a whole, though, The Magicians has done a really great job of not letting Penny become a stereotypical South Asian character. He is indeed an integral part of the plot. He's heroic, sexy, and got to jab at Quentin for giving him an Indian accent in one of his dreams. However, I do think it's worth a mention the show made a deliberate choice to make him a person of color. Perhaps I should have prefaced with the note that I am also South Asian and currently a student at one of the most liberal universities in the country, but I love Penny as a character so much I had to say it to someone. Well, I'm really glad you did, and I hope it's okay that we read that whole thing on the podcast because I really wanted this to launch a little talk about Penny given that he's also our favorite character. Yes. And we love any excuse to talk more about him.
1: Cool name, by the way, Kai. I love that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: And really kind words as well on there. So thank you for that email. We never broke it down into race as far as Penny and his race because I never looked at it that way.
0: Honestly, I didn't either. I thought that, yes, the casting was probably deliberate in their choice given that there isn't a lot of ethnic diversity going on Mm -hmm. with the rest of the main crew. But it's not like there's not in the entire show. You know, so that wasn't really glaringly obvious to me. I thought they were more trying to pull from the way the characters were written in the books. Here, however, is where you come into some difficulty. So I don't think Kai has read the books because he wasn't sure if Penny was even in them. He was, actually. Penny was a book character. He is the only one that was changed so much from the books. Mm -hmm. He's very, very different than the way Lev Grossman wrote him. So that leads me to why did they decide to do that? Why did they decide to make him a character of South Asian descent, if that's what he is? I just chalked it up to they were trying to make him a little bit sexier, a little tougher, cool, a little more badass because he's such a dork.
1: In the book? In the books.
0: <laughs> he's this little nerdy white dude He can never make friends with anybody. He's always trying to be part of the group, but he has no social graces whatsoever. I mean, you think Penny's bad? Penny kind of does it in a way that's like, fuck you, I'm too cool. Book Penny was, I don't know how to even say hi to people, and I'm so incredibly nervous. And he would kind of get snappy at people in a nasty way, but it wasn't funny even. Mm -hmm. So he was very shunned. By the rest of the group. And I think TV crew does push him to the side a little. But in a way that they just kind of forget about him. Not in a we don't like you, please get out of our circle type. Right. And, and that's kind of how it was in the book.
1: They don't forget about him. They just don't have to worry about him because he never complains.
0: He takes care of himself. Yeah. So let me give you some hardcore facts about Book Penny. His real name is William. He's human. Male. Male dark brown hair and brown eyes. They do not tell you any more about him. I believe they might have mentioned that he was white at some point, but I could be wrong. Maybe they just never said it at all. His discipline is interdimensional travel, same as on the TV show. He's a student who enters break bills at the same time as Alice and Quentin. He's shown to be one of the three most adept magicians in that year and begins to study very archaic and untested magic during his time at school. He is highly skilled and shown to be capable of inventing new spells with Alice before the group enters Fillory. Despite that, he has a hard time making friends and dislikes the other physicals while at Breakbills. In short, he is incredibly rude, sarcastic, and lonely. To balance out his flaws, however, he is shown to be brave enough to go up against the beast and on some level really cares about his friends. Magic and abilities. Spell casting. He has the ability to use magic and cast spells through complex somatic movements. Discipline, traveler, reads minds, travels through space and time, can move objects mentally with generally little to no movement. This is significant because nearly all of his spells, including those involving moving objects, require some sort of hand movement. However, it is not known if this ability can be associated with his discipline as a traveler or as a self-taught one. Note he was unable to bring people with him as he traveled, but after being taught a spell, he was able to do so. So, this is all the same. Penny first appears during the break bills entrance exam. Much to Quentin's surprise, Penny finishes the test in just 20 minutes and passes. During the first year, he was paired up with Quentin and Alice when the three were given a chance to move up early into the second year class. As Alice and Quentin became closer, Penny started to keep to himself, and after the test, was the only one of the three who did not make it into the second year with Alice and Quentin. Later, he attacked Quentin, and while the two were recovering from their fight in the infirmary, Penny said that he blamed Quentin for the fact that he did not advance with him and Alice oh. and thought that Quentin had shunted him to the side. They thought they were better than him, and the hatred and resentment just kept growing until oh, wow. Penny literally despised Quentin.
1: That's completely different than the movie. Show.
0: Yeah, and it goes on to even further differences with his character that I don't want to get into yet because I don't know where the show is going yet with Penny, but what starts out sounding like the same basic component starts to veer off until the branches go further and further and you are miles away (laughs) from what we now have with TV, Penny, and I think they wanted to make people like him, despite the fact that he's tough and rude and makes sarcastic comments, he's also funny, he's brave, he's selfless, And generally, I mean, we like him. We love him. He's sexy. He's better looking. I I think (laughs) any choices they made were probably for those reasons. I don't know if it was to say he's a person of color and we're trying to say something about that. Right. But I could be wrong.
1: Thank you for your email, Kai, and keep them coming.
0: If you have any other thoughts on Penny, please let us know. And maybe we'll start doing some character analysis each week on different people.
1: Yeah. You just reminded me um, this marriage thing. Was that in the book with Elliot marrying the king? Oh, no,
0: we've taken so many left turns in uh, Fillory the past couple episodes, especially in Fillory, that I don't even know if we're going towards the same destination anymore.
1: Well, three left turns and you're back to where you started.
0: <laughs> especially <laughs> if you're in the Flying Forest. We could go around in circles <laughs> there forever. You go. That wraps episode 9, and if you're afraid of spoilers, we will see you next time. For everyone that's still here, next up we have episode 10, The Girl Who Told Time. This title coming from the third novel of the Fillory and Further series. It says, an alternate reality holds the key to saving Julia. Quentin helps by talking to Julia Shade, the 12-year-old version of her, who says she wants to find Julia. Elliot attempts to win over his people, and Margot unloads her big secret. Penny and Katie become caught between two magical factions. Oh, yes, and the Poison Room.
1: Oh, boy. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, let us know your thoughts via Twitter at Podcast or email us, contact at coffeeclasscrew.com. Tell your friends about us, spread the word. Let's keep this thing growing. Till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! game.